Hello, and welcome to They Made Another One, where each week we scour the depths of franchise cinema, discussing both the treasures and horrors we find. I'm one of your hosts, Corey. And I'm your other host, Liam. And this week we watched the fifth installment in the much beloved Hellraiser franchise. I don't know if beloved is entirely accurate, but I mean... Uh... I don't. I don't know how much goodwill the first film gets it, especially because I haven't seen it. But it, it very well might be. There are some people who beloved it for sure. So I'm gonna go it. ahead and say people like Hellraiser. Yeah, it's beloved. It's beloved. Say it. Um, okay. and uh, Hellraiser Inferno, uh, as mentioned, is the fifth. It came out in 2000. It's directed by Scott Derrickson. Um, it's got your boy Pinhead in it. Uh, everyone's <laughs> favorite. Uh, <laughs> they just call him. I feel like everyone just goes like, "Oh, it's the Hellraiser guy. It's it's yeah. Mister Hellraiser. It's the dude." And then, but then you say Pinhead, and you're like, "Oh yeah, I guess that is his." And name. then everybody, I, I don't know, maybe I just have brain poisoning, but my I go straight to SpongeBob with Pinhead. Of course. Well, that's because we were born in 1996 and or seven. And wow, you don't but, know. But I would. Well, I I was born in '96, Corey. I was I was accounting for both of us. Oh okay. Um, so, but the people who beloved the Hellraiser franchise, it's very likely that they are of an older demographic, and for them, the 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 pinhead we see in this movie is is the is the pinnest of heads. Yeah, all I'm saying is if you put Doug Bradley in Patrick Star in a room, they would both walk out as pinhead. <laughs> I all, agree with you. Yeah, that's all I'm they, saying. They come to a compromise. It's a they're, stalemate. They're both pinhead to me now. Yo, was that a Hellraiser reference, do you think? There's no way. In, in the episode? Absolutely not. Was Pinhead a thing before that? Did Clive Barker invent the word Pinhead? I mean, my main thing, my main complaint here would be uh, Patrick Starr kind of looks like a bowling pin on his head, and also they were doing a cowboy thing. And actually, after watching Hellraiser Inferno, you could argue that maybe Hellraiser is a cowboy thing. That's true. And I, I struggle to remember if he's ever referred to as pinhead in the films at least in the film we watched in in hellraiser inferno he's not here but i feel like at some point that had to become apparent because i know i don't know it i believe <laughs> as far as i've been told that in Who's the told you you know people i know people okay. uh oh, and yeah, what yeah. they've told me about hellraiser is uh there's um like other main Cenobites and like as the movies went on Pinhead clearly became like the de facto this is the one when you think about Hellraiser so he became like the guy but okay. I feel like at a certain point it would have been necessary to distinguish um but clearly like Pinhead's clearly the dude now uh because in this case they decided to put Pinhead in a detective movie so to give you a quick sense of like Hellraiser Inferno for anybody who hasn't seen it which if you're a regular everyday person, is probably you. Um, <laughs> this is not a movie that really screams everyone has seen Hellraiser Inferno. But um, we're following uh, a detective in Denver named uh, Joseph, who is basically, like, the most, like, outrageous asshole on the planet. And um, he's, like, he's got, like, this bad boy ethos, and he does drugs, and he cheats on his wife, and... Uh, loves children like like you do and um what a dick 
Yeah. And uh, he he has eyebrows too. I he knew does. from the second I saw his eyebrows that he was that he was. He's got this a was really, before the cocaine and the prostitutes. I he's was got a really compelling face, but like not in a great way. Like right. he looks he, like somebody I'd avoid in public because he's got yeah. like this weird. He's got like a weird. He feels like if you distilled the movie face off into a face. <laughs> yeah, we he um he's certainly well cast for it for the certainly. way he looks. Yeah, his his like everything from like nostrils up is really spectacular. Yes. Um before we get too caught in the weeds here, uh so yeah, we have Joseph, bad cop, and um he uh gets put on this case and there's like this horrible mutilated body uh of a guy he went to high school with, which doesn't really factor in. And as they're exploring the scene, they find what in the movie is named uh, the the lament configuration, which I really just want to put a point on because that's the sickest name for like yeah, that, anything ever. That was the name of my high school band. It's a complete coincidence. I had you know what? That was band. the name of my high school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude. When you graduate from the lament configuration, uh, you know you've gotten a quality education. Uh, they like the name because it rhymes. Are we sure that you didn't go to high school in purgatory? What did you do in middle school that you might be being damned for? You know what? Uh, maybe I am in purgatory because I never went to middle school. <laughs> My middle school <laughs> experience was nothing. You're right. We're in Canada. These things don't exist. I don't know why I live my life by American <laughs> rules. I didn't go to middle school either. I so. live my life by American rules. You know who lives his life by American rules? Joseph, the bad cop. Um, That's true. That's he, true. He's Cocaine like a, and prostitutes. He's like a distillation of all bad dudes. Um, yes. And anyway, uh, after he gets in contact with this cube, this lament configuration, uh, there's sort of like a blurring between worlds of like, his world and what may or may not be hell. I think it's hell or rather his experience of hell. And he sort of goes on this quest to find the person who's like figureheading this whole thing, who is called the engineer. Uh, and there's, there's twists and turns uh, as movies are wont to do. But what I want to start with is just sort of, um, if you could distill your like, um, if you could distill your main takeaways from Hellraiser Inferno into like one or two sentences, what would it be? The opposite of eating pancakes. Can you elaborate? Well, when you start eating a plate of pancakes, right, you see it and you're like, this is exactly what I want. And you take a few bites and it's delicious and you're so excited to get to the rest. And then you take literally one or two more bites and you're like, you know what? Maybe I wasn't as into this as I thought I was. And then you, you still have a whole plate of pancakes. So you take a few more bites. And then by the time you're at the point where you either finish the pancakes or you need to crumple up the napkin and throw it on the plate, you're so over it. And you're just like, I don't know why I ever wanted pancakes. I didn't like these pancakes. You forget all about the good bites you had at the beginning and you think, I, I didn't want this at all. And and the opposite of that is what occurred for this movie. I was down on it for a long time, Corey. And then in the last 15, 20 minutes or so, I, I really started to pump my fist and exclaim. And I started to have a good time. And so that's that's my big takeaway. And I'm just trying to decide right now if that if that makes the experience worth it or not, if pancakes are worth it because of the beginning. You know, if they're worth those those couple good bites, I don't know. Well, let's sort of like all sort of 
structure like my kind of response here based off what you sort of what your takeaways were to see if mine were the same or anything so i'll i'll start at the beginning because i feel like to give away where the movie does go because it has some really compelling ideas would be kind of like unfortunate to kind of like jump straight out to that what is it about the beginning that was turning you off well, honestly, it was just um, the craft of the filmmaking more than anything, because I think the script eventually reveals itself to be um, a pretty cool script. It, ha- it has some interesting things to say. Um, but in the beginning of the movie, they're just setting up these characters, right? And so it's um, there's not much script to focus on. There's not much to dig into in that regard. So really, all I could focus on was the filmmaking. And... Um, I've learned that this is the first direct-to-video um, installment in the oh, Hellraiser franchise, and oh, that doesn't surprise me. Just in terms, just in terms of the budget, right? Can like I cut in for a second? Like, yeah, absolutely. Go ahead. I wrote down at one point: this feels like a very elaborate special episode of Law and Order, and the fact that oh. you've said this is straight to video really yes. nails that down for me. Yeah. Yeah, I felt the same way. It's um, it feels like a made-for-TV movie that um, ends up revealing itself to be very Damn. preoccupied with visual effects. It ends up being a visual effects movie, right? In those last fifteen minutes that grabbed me. But oh, before that, okay. especially, that's I mean, the script. There's there's a bit more in there, but I think what the movie turns out to be, in just in terms of the way it's it comes across, is more than anything a visual effects movie well, okay. well we can talk about that more. i'm so glad but, um, i'm so glad we might be about to have a difference of opinion i'm so yeah. glad <laughs> but to, to get back to the first 10 or 15 minutes or so um you know it's just setting up a pretty typical procedural film right it's a, it's a lot like a law and order episode like you said um you know we have this inciting incident of that mutilated body of this dude he went to high school with and and so because i wasn't these these elements were of the script were sort of just just in front of my eyes, but I wasn't able to dig into them. I was just looking at the filmmaking, and in regards to the filmmaking, I just didn't. You know, it was just it was just irritating. The line deliveries were bothering me, particularly from um, Joseph's detective buddy Tony. I didn't think he was a great actor. I, I didn't oh, you like. Mean, the, you mean discount the... John Leguizamo? Yeah, 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 totally. And. Um, I didn't like their rapport. I I didn't particularly like Joseph in the beginning of the film, not just in terms of his character, but but in the way that character was coming across. It felt very, um, you know, cookie cutter. They cast this guy because he looks sort of bad, but I didn't think he was doing anything particularly compelling. And honestly, Corey, the the thing that bothered me most for most of this movie was the score. And, and I'm a guy that I don't really take note of scores. I know that you're a big score guy, right? You go see a movie and the score grabs you. I've written you know, entire reviews about scores. Right. You've We've seen movies together. And, and one of the first things you'll say is that score was amazing. And I'll think to myself, you know, I don't even remember the score that much. And and often to me... And that's so that strange because you that... make music. So it's, it's weird that that this, doesn't... Totally, play. yeah. And so I think... I think the re I know I really know a score is working when I don't notice it, right? When it's right. when it's right there in the film, it's doing exactly what it needs to do because I don't have to orient my brain to think about it. It's just so complementary to the images. 
And so there are scores I, I certainly love, but but um, I think if I really, if I'm able to isolate the score while I'm watching the movie, that either means it's particularly fantastic or it's not working for me at all and it's taking me out of the film. And that's what happened here. And so those were the things that bothered me most in the beginning of the film. It was just, um, I thought the cinematography was flat. I didn't mention that, but I thought it just, it didn't look great. And it that looks might be like as a result looks. of the budget. It looks like TV looks. It's a lot of, um, it feels sort of montage-y. Um, There's a lot and, of you know, fades. Like it will just fade in and out as though for commercial break. Yeah, 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 totally. And um, the score is underlying all that. And I thought the score was just really, really awful. And the performances weren't grabbing me at all. So those were my problems to start with. What about you? What What were you feeling in the in the first act or so of this movie? Um, bored. I think I agree with some of what you've said. It's very rote. It's very like, have you seen a movie with cops in it? This is that, except it's got, like, this weird occult demon kind of angle. Mm-hmm. A lot of It's weird because a lot of the things in that earlier part that come to me now are stuff that you haven't brought up yet at all. Because some oh, of the, well, a lot it. of the stuff that you've brought up is stuff that, like, I didn't even think about. Like, the score, didn't think about it at all. Just did not register. You could have told me that movie had no music in it. And I just believe Interesting. you. Wow, okay. But what I really, really remember is when Cenobites first emerge, my brain exploded. <laughs> that was, yeah, that was awesome. I didn't mention it, but you're right. It's I, I, I was totally fantastic. And they're gross, and I don't like looking at them. And the effect where they're, like, reaching into his body is really yeah. really good and that like clicking sound on like the 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 torso guy the guy that looks like geo dude like yeah. who's just arms and a head that like yeah, yeah, clicking yeah. noise like made my skin crawl and like the the thing i get when i think about the beginning of this movie is is a weird mix of like it's like i'm looking at a mood board except it's like a yin yang mood board where on one half uh i'm barely paying attention and i'm bored to tears and on the other half i'm like screaming and very uncomfortable not screaming in genuine terror but it's like oh god this is horrible i don't like it but i do like it um and i i remember it hooking me on the strength of wanting to see what they do with that and the other thing i remember and this isn't strictly from the beginning because frankly like you're saying i don't remember the plot beats at the beginning very well it's just like here's a guy he's a bit of like a pompous ass oh he does coke and is cheating on his wife that he doesn't really seem to care about uh he's like a genius um we need to talk about the opening scene where after a basketball game he beats a university professor at speed chess and then just leaves yeah yeah that was um <laughs> and it just it has the most rapid fire editing too right as they're sliding i really down liked that honestly i really liked that <laughs> I thought it was so obnoxious. It's not novel like, at all. Like other movies yeah. have done that, but I liked how it, like every time they hit the clicker, it was so loud. It was like every time was just like boom, boom, boom. This is chess. But what I do like about yeah. that is yeah. what I think this movie does a really good job of, even though I think it's way too handholdy about it, is that they set up a character. And they give that character rules within which he operates. 
and then pays each off in the horror side. Like, it's very methodically structured, where it's like each thing we learn about this character is something that he has to contend with later. And I feel like that's not always true. Whereas, like, they set up a lot of, like, I like to solve puzzles and mysteries, and I am an analytical mind, but he, but I'm one, neglectful of my family, and I have, like, vices, and, like, that weird... Uh, I have a note, and then I'm going to let you say your thing, but I had a note near the end, which was, I like how they're working with the rational, analytical mind versus, like, the occult supernatural, and forcing him to, mm-hmm. like... Because the worlds literally blend together. Like, there's no distinction between, like, this is some sort of, like, hell dimension and he's back in reality. So I think the blending really works. And I think they set that up early in a way that I found to be compelling, even if the rest of it's boring. Yeah, totally. I think, well, I think that that comes back to the script is just, it's 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 a, it's a cool script. It's, it's really well written. And I think all those ideas that you're talking about there um, are certainly compelling and I'm with you. But it's just the way that they come across, particularly early in the movie, it just, you know, it, 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 it kind of, what is it called when you wake up on the wrong side of the bed in the middle of the day? I think it's just that. Is there a term for that? <laughs> well, like, like if I was feeling fine, but then like this movie like made me wake up on the wrong side of the bed. Do you know what I mean? I think you just, I think that just means you saw a movie you didn't like. Because, <laughs> <laughs> well, I- it's just, is there an archetypical movie that you could just use its title and people would know what you meant? Like you got, trans- got you got Transformers three. Well, I could start it. I got Hellraiser Inferno. We could make it a thing. I feel like I, I, I like too many things about this movie to do that to this movie. All right. Well, I will carry the flag. Of- <laughs> How about we both do it? So you say I just got Hellraiser Inferno'd when you watch a movie that you really like. I don't want to put a too say- fine a point on it. And then I'll say I got Hellraiser Inferno'd when I see something that I'm not vibing with, and we'll see which catches on quicker. I need to a good B. I feel like I need to make this clear before we continue. I don't really like this movie. I just didn't expect to like it at all. Oh, and okay. Well, I didn't. I didn't have that expectation in the slightest. I I think I went in with the low expectations because, and maybe this is like my own like hypocritical nature showing here was even though like our whole ethos is like you know these have value like it's the fifth installment it's direct to video it should theoretically be trash but it's valuable but the mindset i had was like yeah this is probably gonna be bad so i was prepared Mm. for i was prepared mentally to be like yeah this was pretty bad and to like (laughs) find things to like sort of poke at but what I have down is like, I have a lot of like a lot of my notes on craft are fairly complimentary, but I think it's important to note that these are very specific moments that I think do things well. Sure, and I I have plenty of those too. Sure, the... you know what? Oh, before you do that, I'll just, I'll put it to you this way because yeah, in case it's not apparent, we're already not that concerned with the plot here. It's a police procedural with demons in it. And it's a guy fighting his figurative demons because that's an easy parallel to make where it's like he's mistreating his family. He's mistreating his friends uh, and by extension, mistreating himself through both vice and like immorality. And 
he's there's this sort of like angle where he thinks he's gonna like find a kid who's being tortured because kids are like this paragon of innocence and the big thing is like oh you actually destroyed your own childhood innocence just so we're clear for anybody who maybe hasn't seen it that's more or less what we're dealing with i think Um, you nailed it actually that was that was really that was really well said thank you but um i guess what i want to ask is what worked and was there a moment where you decided the movie was better than you were giving it credit for or at least that you liked it more than you thought you would sure okay so um i have a tough time saying the movie was better than i thought it would be well then then i thought it was in the first half hour right I, i i think i went in pretty well um with with a fairly blank slate i was ready for this to be good um i was ready for it to be bad as well but i I don't think i had those those expectations that you necessarily had and then it was the first hour that first half hour sorry that that had let me down so much and you know got me off on the wrong foot that's what i was thinking Corey. you get get out of bed on the on the right side but you get off on the wrong foot and then this happens in the middle of the day that's what it is but if we're talking about hellraiser inferno Maybe yeah. it's more like my foot got whipped with a bunch of weird hooks and now I cannot walk. <laughs> right. And now it's I my, got it's I my got whipped I got whipped with gimp hooks in a piercing shop and now I'm having a bad day. <laughs> yeah, but but see the problem was that it wasn't the whips in this movie that got off on my wrong foot. It was the boring ass police procedural stuff at the beginning. Once once the whips are introduced, I'm kinda into it actually. You can isolate that soundbite and send it to my mom. I already did. I worked yeah. quickly. <laughs> but uh, no, to answer your question, the the moments that really did work for me, I think, were the same moments that worked for you. Um, from what you've said so far, the introduction of the cine cinnabites is that cenobites. It it's with an e. Cenobites, which is just the name for the like uh, hell creatures, like, like the right? weird gimp demons. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So we see them. Um, for the first time oh that seems uh, so good with with their eyes all sewed up right and there's two of them and they're um, like weird leather they're in weird leather yes and this is um and then they're yeah right like you said they're digging into his into the flesh of his chest and i couldn't really tell if he was if he was struggling and suffering or if he was yeah, getting off did he on like it, it? Which was really cool i, I, I was and totally that feels into like that. something consistent with how i understand like hellraiser as a series to work which i liked elaborate on that a little bit um again i'm going off of partial knowledge here because i've only listened to a couple podcasts where like hellraiser comes up but if i understand correctly it has like a pretty deep like sexuality undercurrent and like psychosexuality undercurrent and a lot of it's like thematic preoccupations so it was nice to see it kind of dip to that even if um it wasn't sort of front and center because it, it it isn't but it was nice to kind of see it there because it makes it go, oh, this feels – it makes it feel more like, oh, this is a Hellraiser film and not just this is a horror movie. Got you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I really, I really liked that, um, that idea as well. And so I found that first um, hell sequence, dream sequence. I don't know exactly what we're calling it. Um, I so think, I think, I we think understand, hell sequence is we, we understand by the end that it's not a dream sequence, right? But he is waking up from, from this sort of thing. Um, a couple times throughout the film. And so I thought that first sequence really worked. But the problem is, for me, that I don't think that sequence 
takes place until what 20 minutes half an hour into the movie it's something like that for sure uh, and so whereas ahead. you were you were bored before those creatures came and then they came on and you were blown away right i think i am just being a little bit less forgiving of of the of the segments in between so we got that first half it's hour 15 minutes 15 minutes and i guess it just says a lot with how much those first 15 minutes had packed into them that that bothered me with the performances and and the score yeah, and the, the idea and that that opening 15 minutes felt arduous is yeah. a really bad sign for the opening 15 minutes of this movie right and then i think after we see pinhead he opens the door to look for his daughter who's screaming for him and we see pinhead and pinhead kind of swipes at him and no what pinhead does is rip his eyes out of his face with his hand though right yes he, he, he no he goes up with both hands and just pulls each to either side and it like rips his eyes off <laughs> it's wild right. it's super cool and then he wakes up from it and then and then we get maybe another half hour or so it really it until... kind of slows down <laughs> Until we see something um, that's similar, we certainly get even longer than that. Until we see Pinhead again. Yeah, the next so, the next body is another thirteen minutes, and then the next like Cenobite thing is another. Mm -hmm. Oh my god, almost thirty. <laughs> right, and so <laughs> so the thing is, I loved I loved all the surrealist sequences that I imagine Hellraiser is known for. Um, and I don't, I'm not necessarily saying I want more of those because I understand structure and we have to live with these characters for a while and, and have these moments punctuate the narrative. And then, and then we get pinhead at the end, right? As the big climactic payoff. I understand that, but it's just the segments in between just had so much in them that bothered me that, um, it just, the juice wasn't worth the squeeze I suppose is is another sentence i could use for the way this this movie uh this movie hit me you reached into your fridge and you thought you grabbed a carton of orange juice and all you tasted was milk yeah 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 that's that's um that's a bother yeah for sure when you think you're getting one thing right and you and you get another yeah. i, I kind of want to zero in for just like a minute or two on the man playing joseph the actor playing joseph i don't know why i said the man but um Craig Sheffer, oh my god. He is, in the early bit, at the very least, chewing the scenery. He is just hamming it up. And it's like, a lot? It's really a lot. Because he's playing it the way I would imagine Nick Cage in the same era would have played it. Like, just cranked. It's the most extreme version of this character, and it does get kind of grating because he's just, like, such an extreme version of this, like, asshole cop. But mm -hmm. I do appreciate that in, I'd say, maybe the last 25 minutes. Once he's really and truly vulnerable, I feel like his performance kind of takes a turn. But you have to wait, again, so long to get to that point, and it's just, like... I agree with what you're saying where it's like a lot of it doesn't feel like it's worth the wait. And that's a bad sign in a 99-minute movie. In a movie that's yeah. barely over an hour and a half, these things should feel like they're worth the wait because it shouldn't feel like we're waiting. But what I will say is that along the way, there's a lot of stuff that I thought was really interesting from a filmmaking perspective. And I think I only noticed them because they happen somewhat infrequently. 
it is shot yeah. mostly <laughs> flat, like you said, but there are a couple shots in it I like. There's some interesting stuff with angles and like camera rotations. One that comes to yes. mind is the one early is like when you first see his daughter in bed, yep. but it looks like yeah. she's standing and then he comes in from like the top of the frame. Like that's yeah, I was fun. thinking the exact same thing. Yeah, yeah, there's some others later, but I appeared. It seems like I haven't. I didn't write them specifically down. I I don't know if you noticed this though. This movie's really well lit, like frequently has really really great lighting, and I don't know if you like. Did you catch that at all? No. Um, I'd love to hear more about it, but to me, it was just lit I, I i thought the horror sequences looked great i'll put but, it to but... you this way it's got moments of great lighting <laughs> totally yeah, yeah yeah um i like that idea you said of the things that hit you might have hit you more because they happened infrequently because I, th- I think i feel the same way so I, I loved the way the horror sequences looked so i imagine i thought they were lit great as well i can't i can't recall exactly what the lighting looked like there but but you know it it worked so well right that it's like the score where i didn't think of it in particular but in the, in the moments in between in the sequences and scenes in between i i just thought it looked um sort of just washed out and um it looks like cheap. something from 2000 looks in a yeah, lot of ways yeah 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 so i'd i'd love to hear some of the moments where the lighting hit you so i think on the one hand, it does a lot of stuff I really like with color. If we want to go back to the first 15 minutes, which I imagine you probably don't, there's like that sex scene. And when it's pivoting from like the beginning of their like transaction, it fades to red and then fades out. And then they're like in the act, so to speak. And then it fades to red and it fades out. And I really like that use of red as like passion. It's very obvious, but like horror using bold color is fun. And it sure. And uh, but what it does is it sets up a lot of like there's a lot of transitions. It feels like between dark light, you know what I mean, darkness and something very bright. (laughs) Yeah. And I really like how those juxtapose. You get this a lot at the end when he's sort of in this like this house that is both just the building itself. And also like each room is like a portal into like a different moment. But his childhood bedroom is so bright Mm. and so pristine and it's white for that innocence angle because obviously because this movie is not subtle at all but like i really like the transitions between like you're in a he's in a motel bathroom he opens the door he's in a bright white room i really like how that looks i really like when they go to that weird cowboy bar where everybody's dressed in like period clothing and playing poker which i really (laughs) just want to put a finger on because it's crazy. This movie makes really weird choices with some of that stuff. We're just like, yeah, we're just going to put this in here. It's the speed chess and it's the cowboys. And, yeah, it's and they're, the f- they're all calling each other pinheads too. And it's the fact that <laughs> and it's the who you call him pinhead. And it's the fact <laughs> that uh, the drug dealer snitch operates an ice cream van. That's what sticks out for me. There's yeah. a lot of great neon in that and a lot of like reds with whites and a lot of, but I think the big thing that I remember and I tried to mitigate I when I watch movies I tend to take too many notes and it just becomes like a bit of a hodgepodge and I miss stuff so I took fewer and I'm kind of regretting it now because I wish I had stuff to point to that was a bit more specific but there's a lot of moments where light is streaming through something like just white light from like whether it be through a window or um, a door or from outside whatever it is there where white light streams through and doesn't even hit something to reflect but just like 
accents something. And again, I regret not having more specific examples prepared, but... But we know it happened, right? Yeah. If you, if you felt that way. Yeah, and I'm trying to, like... Because the movie's on YouTube. That's where we watched it, just to be clear. So, like, I'm, I'm scrubbing <laughs> through it trying to find a good scene. And scr is scrubbing through it, it's not jumping out at me. Oh, wait. Actually, here's one that's all right. Um, so after he here's speak, one that's all right. Here's says, one yeah. all right for my example. So there's yeah. a point where he's talking with like a counselor who is later like there's a twist involving the counselor or whatever. It doesn't matter. And yeah. after that, he drives home and it's like pouring rain. And it's again, this movie's not novel. It's not necessarily doing anything new, but that doesn't mean it doesn't do what it's doing. And now that I know that there's like budgetary reasons for it, kind of, that's kind of a compelling angle. But it's like. So it's pouring rain and it's dark and there's like headlights and there's street lights and there's the red of traffic lights and he's sort of like blowing in and out of darkness and lit in red and he's having this very like stressful moment as he often is and it just it's use of light the way light should be used in a movie and I know that doesn't sound like praise but to see it and be able to go hey that was good use of light and color here. I feel like really works. There's also moments where he he goes to visit his like parents because apparently they've been implicated in this issue and um he goes down this hallway and it's fluorescently lit and it's that classic where it's like he's dark and then he's lit as he's walking under these street lights or rather these hallway lights and then he goes into where his parents are and it's very like yellow lighting there's like a lamp and it's fairly dark in the room but when he opens back out into the hallway he's in his bedroom again and it's this stark white there's a slight blue tint to it to kind of complement the yellow tint of the other room and it's this just it's a completely different visual look and i find that when it transitions between those extremes like that i really like how it looks there's a moment later when he is following the clues and he goes to this like dilapidated apartment and there's these windows washed over and he cracks one open and the light just streams through. And again, I feel like I need to keep making this point and I don't like that. I feel this way, but it's like, this is things the movie should do, but I like that it's doing them and I like how they work together and they make the things feel cohesive and look like a good movie looks and it kind of helped me focus on things that weren't what I thought didn't work because I was like, Hey, this looks good or this feels good. Even if it didn't, but something that I think you might be able to speak to a bit more if you didn't catch lighting stuff was the effects. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think in my mind, effects and the lighting are sort of tied together because the effect sequences because that's what they are, right? There, there are sequences where there are a lot sure. of effects used, and and there, there, there are sequences that are constructed in a way that's sort of that's all encompassing. It's not, it's not just a creature in the regular world, which which it is. Um, it's also you know it's it's a total mood piece, and so um, sure. so so lighting and effects are tied together, and and when those moments happened, I thought that they they were fantastic. Um, when we have the creatures show up in the first place, I thought they were terrifying looking. Oh my god! Creatures with, I, the, with their eyes sewed up shut. I had a moment later in the movie where I don't even remember which like Cenobite it is, but I said out loud to my computer screen. 
I hate looking at this. Was it the homie with the black tongue? Long black tongue? No. I mean, I don't like looking at that either, but I, it was just something where I was just like, I'm tired of looking at this and I hate it, which is like the perfect reaction to kind of have. Yeah, that's that's. I'd imagine the filmmakers would consider that great praise. Yeah, no, because um, I think the effects are really good. The practical ones. Totally, I think so too. I think I think they looked great, and um, especially for you know a two thousand direct to video movie that that would have had a fairly low budget. I imagine. I think that the filmmakers probably realized that this is a movie where the effects need to work, and so they do. Um, two million dollar just... budget. Sorry. Cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's about what I would expect. And so I think the effects really work because they need to work. And so um, e every time we see any of the creatures, really, um, the Cinnabites, I, I was totally into it. All, all the hell sequences, I thought, looked great. There's a sequence, speaking of lighting, if we still are, there's a sequence where um, Joseph's wife and child are spinning in this sort of blue snowy room they're yeah, tied and, up and, and this is another thing around. i like the transitions again he's just in his house he turns a corner mm -hmm. it's blue and it's snowing in his house and there's weird chains yeah. and a spinning pendulum and his family is dying and i think it's good yeah i think it's really good too <laughs> and I, I was doing the same thing here scrolling through um youtube just kind of looking at the timeline and seeing what we're seeing and you're right, I'm seeing a lot of scenes here that, that are these sort of really cool splashes of, um, of color and of uh, interesting cinematography. But the thing is, in, in those, between those sequences, you know, there's a lot of medium close-ups. There's, there's a lot of shot reverse shot. There's, um, it's, it's, it, it feels yeah. very, right? It feels like a soap opera or like, um, like a low-budget porno. Not that I know what that looks like, right? And so it's just... And so that stuff just it just it it it, it kind of puts put a sour taste in my mouth certainly early in the movie and then and then in between these these really cool ideas um, filmmaking wise there was more of them um, you know more of this stuff that bothered me and so I don't I don't think it's surprising that this movie was made by a first time filmmaker that would go on to do other really cool things. Um, okay. I don't know if you know this, Corey. Have you looked into this guy, Scott Derrickson, at all? I haven't. I was about to do it right as you said that. Well, um, just, just let me tell you then. Just let me tell you. Oh, um, fuck. Spoilers, <laughs> <laughs> Corey. I wanted to have a I had it open. I'm sorry. Uh, well, now you have to guess what movie I said that for. Uh, um, Doctor Strange. Yeah, obviously. But, um, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, but I can so, see it. I can see very tiny glimpses of that. Right, right. That's the, the twirly camera stuff. Which is which is why I wanted to reveal this to you because I'm you so hadn't sorry it I up yet, that. and so it didn't seem like you knew. Whereas, um, right when I saw his name in the opening credits, I knew exactly who he was because before he did Doctor Strange, he was a horror guy. He did um, wow. a movie which was his second film after this one called the ex the exorcism of emily rose which is a really cool film from 2006 and then he also did a wildly successful horror movie in 2012 sinister. called sinister yeah, yeah, yeah. and and his writing partner for that movie also helped him write dr strange and so he he's also a did guy. the keanu reeves jennifer connelly day the earth stood still oh yeah yeah interesting i, I don't know that one i guess that was his, his it's, it's uh, uh not great <laughs> big budget uh 
you know, yeah. spectacle. Interesting. But, yeah, the point is, he is certainly a horror guy, and I, I've seen a lot of his stuff, and I've I've heard a lot of interviews with him too. He's, he was on a great um, podcast just a couple months ago called Shockwaves, and he talked about this movie um, briefly. He didn't. He said it was a movie that gave him a lot of opportunities, but you know, he didn't make a movie for for a good amount of years after. And he said that he's he doesn't think it's a very good film. But it's certainly I would ultimately a film agree that taught him, him a lot. <laughs> cool, uh, um, but but it's a movie that taught him a lot, right? And I can see that because I think he's a good filmmaker, based on the other stuff I've seen and based on segments of this film. I think he's a good filmmaker, but also I think that this is a really this is just obviously a first film of someone that even now I don't think is necessarily at the point where he's making masterpieces. You know, some people are able to come out of the gate and their first film, they're able to just swing and hit it, you know, out, and it's, um, uh, what is it? What is this figure of speech? It's not a, the wrong side of the bed. Not, not the wrong run. side. It's a home run. He's able to hit a home run. You know, like the, the dude who did hereditary, for example, you Ari Aster. The first film, Ari Aster. And you're, you're able to say, Holy moly. It's insane that that's the first film. Whereas this guy, because that's I, I I can't even fathom how that's possible. Whereas I think a lot of more first films by directors who end up being great, and I would call this guy a great director. Um, their first films would probably look a lot more like this, where there's really interesting ideas and sequences in them, but there's also a lot of stuff where you know they're trying to find their footing, and this doesn't work, and that doesn't work, and so you know ultimate ultimately for me, this is a film that doesn't work, but as you're saying, there's a lot of good stuff in there for sure. Yeah. And I feel like one thing that we haven't really hammered in on, but you've mentioned it a couple of times. So we may as well talk about it. Actually, before we do that, I want to make sure I hit this uh, and it'll be really quick. But what I want to ask is what's your favorite effect in the movie? The eye girl, the girl with her eyes bleeding out of her face. The old woman, uh, the, like, and, the old yeah. mom. Okay. And she's holding the knife. Yeah, I just the best it. part I, of that effect, terrifying image, is when she gets shot with the shotgun and the old lady flies across the room and just kind of crumples into the corner next to the yeah. table. Yeah. The, the way that they handled awesome. the shotgun effects, where they just like did wire work. A. Yeah. It looks hysterical, but it really works. Like it's funny, but it also is just like that's a powerful gun. Like I really yeah. loved that. It's um, super visceral. Mine. As evidenced by the fact that I wrote a, an all-caps note in my notebook that just said, WHEELCHAIR GUY IS THE WHEELCHAIR GUY. Um, right. Who just kind of shows yeah. up in the background of, I think, the second time he's walking down the retirement home hallway. And you can't really make it out right away. And then you get there, and it's this old man sort of, like, almost, like, shriveled. Like, not shriveled physically, but, like, curled up in this wheelchair. And his face is just, like, morbidly stretched apart. And he's laughing with a child's voice, and it's very, very bad. And I don't like mm. it at all, and I like it a lot. <laughs> like That's yeah, the best yeah. way I can think to put it. It's uh, miserable, and I hate it, and I think it's really good. <laughs> um, yeah, I think I think that's another splash of brilliance in this film, right? There, yeah. There's quite a few of them. I, th I think that's a that's a great idea, and I think the way it's it's on screen is um, is super effective. Yeah, for sure. So, but the thing I want to make sure that we hit is, because uh, it's come a few times, is the writing, and I guess more specifically, the structure, and I guess even more specifically, uh, I really <laughs> like, the, I know, the turn of phrase was not great. 
I really like the structure of how hell works, which is a weird thing to just kind of say out loud. Um, and it's not novel. It's a Groundhog's Day thing, but it's really, really sharp. There's something about it that feels ins- incisive. It's like it cuts in the way that those hooks cut or in the way that like it just feels like <laughs> the first time it happens, I feel like it just hits. And I don't mean to make a ham-fisted metaphor of like it's like the hooks in the movie, but like it really is. It it immediately makes you as an audience member, it hooks you in. You're more invested instantly when you're like, oh, we're doing this. And I think that really works. And like when he goes home to like his family and he's like in bed and his wife gets that call and he goes through that <laughs> whole thing with the retirement home and then just wakes up at home and then it just happens again. I was immediately like, oh, what's going to happen this time? Like, it's such a smart device to immediately hook people. And I keep saying hook, and again, not to make the ham-fisted reference, but, like, it just works, and I really, really liked it. And I already liked how the nightmare, or rather, like, the hell sequences look because there's this weird fluidity where it's like, here we're in hell, here we're not. Or rather... There are also things where, like, the hell reality bleeds into his. Where, like, he's in that bar and he puts in that tape. And first of all, faux pas. Like, you don't play that in a public place. That was basic. That's a snuff film, you weird man. But, like. Yeah, like, he's a detective. He should I was yelling too, at my right? screen when he was doing that. I'm like, no, you can't do that. You can't just play this here. But then, like, that screen goes to static and it zooms out and we're on a different tv and we're at the precinct and everybody's like that tape was blank you're insane and that's another thing where i'm like oh this is good so i think it's it's working with a lot of writing devices that i think are really strong but this movie has never heard of the word subtlety it's like we have the the voiceover which i really like because i like the hard-boiled thing but i hated it Oh, I loved it. I think it's great. And again, cool. I I love it not because I think it's necessarily good, but I love that it's there. Do you know what I mean? No, totally. I'm. It's, I, I this is as I, much a voiceover I want as I want a voiceover in Blade Runner, because and it's for the same reasons. Hmm. Yeah. The movie doesn't want you to get confused, and yet it's not doing anything that could possibly confuse you. So they explain it. Yeah. yeah. And I want to kind of ask. I also feel like this might actually be a really good introduction to Hellraiser as a series because there's a, like there's really ham-fisted exposition but it tells you the whole thing. Like it just tells you how this works. It gives you the rundown of like here's the lamentation, the lament configuration, here's the box. This is what cenobites are. Here's how this works. This is what's happening. And you get a sense for that and you get introduced to like Pinhead this key character. And you get introduced to, like, how the movies function on a thematic level where it crafts these sort of figurative demons and constructs literal demons. I think it works in a way that could make it a good onboard, even if you don't want to start with Hellraiser 1 like we didn't. But it it makes that process kind of frustrating because at every turn it's like, here's what we're doing. He's explaining, like, I live in a world of facts and logic, and now I don't because hell is wacky. 
And it's like, yeah, dude, we know. Or it's like the thing that you, the child you were trying to save was your own innocence because you are ruining your body with like hedonism and, and like vices and whatever. And it's like, yeah, we know. Like we can just see that. Like I don't think Pinhead needs a monologue where he's like, here's what you did and here's why it's bad. Like not only do I think the audience clearly understands, but like Joseph should understand that. I don't think I think the movie wastes a lot of time keeping people up to date when it doesn't need to, but I don't think that takes away from the fact that like structurally it makes fun decisions. Mhm. So what's the question? Do um, I think there's this not stri- works not stri- introduction? Not strictly speaking it's a question. I kind of just went on my on a tangent there. But I guess like I'll phrase it as a question which is on the one hand just like general thoughts on like how it's written because you would brought it up without really hitting in like anything specific and also like in how it's written and in the way it puts itself together thematically structurally and whatever is this a good hellraiser movie or is this a good onboard to hellraiser but does it feel i'm struggling to find what i want to say i guess i'll leave it more just like is this a would you say this is a good way to start well, I suppose I would say this isn't a bad place because this was my start with Hellraiser and I would watch another. Okay. But um, <laughs> if someone wants to start on Hellraiser, if someone said, yo, I'm interested in watching this franchise, I wouldn't say, tell anyone to start with this film. And the reason is that the, the, the sequences in this movie that get me interested interested in Hellraiser are sequences that I don't imagine are unique to this film. And okay. the parts of this movie that I didn't like, the police procedural stuff um, that makes up a good chunk of this movie is the stuff that I imagine is unique to this film. I can't imagine that other Hellraiser movies are... Um, so concerned with with taking that angle of we're going to bring hell into this sort of other noir story and the parts of this movie that really worked all the visual effects and this idea of of purgatory and and what it means to sin and what it means to be a good person um i would guess that those are found in other hellraiser films and so if someone came to me and said i'm interested in watching um something from the hellraiser franchise you know if that were to ever happen i'm going home for the summer to see my family maybe my mom will come up to me and say liam i'm interested in watching the hellraiser franchise i would say mom hey liam i heard you start with mom yeah go ahead (laughs) hey liam hey my son i listened to your podcast where you said you were into (laughs) weird kink stuff and i don't really want to talk to you about that but i would love to talk to you about hellraiser (laughs) (laughs) yes and i would say mom Start with the kinkiest of them all, the first Hellraiser. I don't know if that's true, but I've Start seen Start with the kinkiest of them all, the porn parody. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's got to be um, real. No, but but I just, I imagine that the stuff I liked in this movie can be found in abundance in the first Hellraiser, maybe the second Hellraiser, I don't know. But no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't tell anyone to start with this movie. I would just say... If you're a fan of the Hellraiser franchise already and you haven't seen this one, I would say check this one out because it has stuff you would be a fan of as we both are. Yeah. But like die, diehards only, basically. Right. Okay. That, that's that's kind of that's where I fall. Yeah, I don't think I would I 
I don't think I could, in good conscience, recommend this cold to somebody. Like, I would not recommend somebody do what we did, which is just like, I'm, I want to get into Hellraiser, I'm starting here. Um, but I feel like, based on my admittedly flawed understanding of the consistencies across Hellraiser movies, or at least how they operate regarding those themes that you were just talking about, it hits those in ways that I think ultimately work, if not work amazingly, because again, its own explanations are really ham-fisted and explicit, and I think that takes away from it. But I think it's got compelling visual and narrative ideas that I think it's safe to say if you were already interested, you could get something out of it. So maybe this will lead us to a conclusion, but I do want to talk about this. Okay. Um, this was a script that wasn't written as a Hellraiser movie. It was a horror script that existed at the studio level, and the Weinstein brothers took it, and they said to Scott Derrickson and his writing partner, who had written the script, turn this into a Hellraiser movie. They Cloverfielded it, Corey. Okay. This is, so I'm, I'm this is a what development. Your are on that. It's weird that earlier I said this might be a good place to start with Hellraiser, theoretically, in, like, the most abstract possible way. Because now that you've said that, you can really, really, really feel the scenes mm-hmm. where they were like, oh, we got to make this about Hellraiser. Like, and I think they kind of make, like, the pinhead ending monologue work for how much I don't like it. But... Yeah. There's a reason there's a whole exposition scene about how the series Hellraiser works, and it's because it wasn't originally a Hellraiser movie. Wow. Mm-hmm. But I don't and, know if I that's think... a bad thing. No, it's not, because... Well, I'm not going to answer for you, but I don't think it is, because... I mean, I think they, they mostly pull it off. It's interesting that the Hellraiser sequences... Um, I mean, it's all, it's a Hellraiser movie, but the, but the sequences that are probably the hell sequences, uh, the hell sequences are, are the best things in the movie, right? I think we can agree on this. And so the horror sequences at the very least. Yeah. Right. So I think it's really, really cool that they took this script that, you know, they might've, someone wrote it and was passionate about it without the Hellraiser stuff. And, um, but, but then once it went into production, it was the stuff that came as an af I don't want to call it an afterthought, but it but it was it was the additional stuff, the hell stuff that ended up pulling it off. It's sort of it's sort of the opposite of something like Ten Cloverfield Lane, where that was a script that was written and then the Cloverfield stuff was added um in post on the script or maybe of of the filmmaking. I'm not sure exactly. And I think the general consensus of Ten Cloverfield Lane is that it's the stuff that ties it into the Cloverfield universe that doesn't work before that happens. It's such a strong film. Right. Whereas here, I think the opposite is true where it's the Hellraiser stuff. That's really, really killing it. And it's the stuff that was um, probably pulled from the initial script and carried over that, that doesn't, I think this movie lost me um, when it was just being what it, was originally supposed to be um I'm, I'm sort of assuming here but before we get to that first um use of the cinnabite is is when i was struggling the most right so i think if you take the hellraiser stuff out of this film i think it is absolutely 
um, a lesser film. Whereas what we're left with here with the um, proper drama, police procedural noir thing, I don't, I don't know genres and the Hellraiser all of stuff. Those are roughly accurate. Yeah. Okay, cool. With the Hellraiser stuff mixed in, it's, it's sort of this unique um, Jacob's ladder sort of film where where it's this um this dude who's struggling in the real world and he doesn't he begins to question his own reality as he sees these terrifying monsters it it feels sort of like they they found what they wanted to do um somewhere along the line they they figured oh you know what this hellraiser stuff is actually really cool and this is what we want to do but then you know they were also sort of they had to adhere to this initial script that they had written before they knew they were going to make a Hellraiser film. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And I think it's an interesting bit of information to end our discussion on this additional bit of context that helps sort of frame this Hellraiser movie for what it is and for what it isn't that it's got these unique ideas, but it doesn't really know what to do with them. And that might be why it feels so strange and with that we have reached the end of another episode of they made another one thank you very much for listening you can find the show all over the internet on twitter at they made another one all one word on apple podcasts soundcloud and other podcast services as they made another one you can reach us via email at they made another one pod at gmail.com with recommendations for future films questions and comments We'll do our best to reach out to everybody who reaches out to us. Liam, where can people find you? You guys can find my film writing alter ego at Letterboxd and Twitter under the handle Graham the Mallow. And I am at Mr. Corey Price on Twitter, M-R-C-O-R-E-Y Price, with a personal film writing website on the way. It's uh, a little bit under construction right now. Um, And with that... Thank you again very much for being here, and we'll catch you next time on They Made Another One. Another One.